Hello and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and on today's show, The Indie has a behind-the-scenes look at a new mystery novel that takes place in and around UC Santa Barbara. The novel, titled With a Kiss We Die, is written in the form of a true crime podcast. One character, Rihanna Rains, is the true crime podcast host. She gets a message on her tip line, which leads her to report on a murder case about a husband and a wife who were stabbed to death at their home. The main suspects are their son and his girlfriend. These suspects are also two UC Santa Barbara theater students who tell their side of the story exclusively to Rihanna on the podcast. So that's a brief summary of the novel, but With a Kiss We Die is also a multi-voice audiobook, so folks can be immersed in this mystery through an audio experience. Their tagline is, and I think this is pretty clever, the podcast that's an audiobook, the audiobook that's a podcast. The authors of the book, Matt Dorff and Suzanne Dunn, were inspired by a 1985 murder case of Derek and Nancy Haysom. You'll hear about how the authors took this real case as inspiration for their fictional novel and why podcasting is the vessel to tell the story. But first, if you like to talk about books and writing and you like this episode of The Indie, the authors are holding a live event including a Q&A and a book reading on Saturday, July 15th on UCSB's campus. There's a lot to uncover here, so I'll let you hear it directly from the authors themselves, Matt and Suzanne, to tell you all about it. So before we get into the discussion, I mentioned your names, Matt and Suzanne, but you use the writer's pseudonym or pen name L.R. Dorn. Can you give a brief introduction of yourselves and then explain how you settled on this pseudonym? Sure, I'll kick this off. So my name is Suzanne Dunn and my writing partner, he'll introduce himself in a moment, Matt Dorf. The two of us have been writing together for a number of years now in the novel space. We both come from a film and television writing background. When we started writing in the book and audiobook space, it was suggested to us by our editor at William Morrow that we combine our names in a pen name or in a pseudonym. It's kind of interesting at the time, the challenge that was cited for us was that fiction writers typically don't display two names on the front of a book cover. And if we did so, it would be confusing to reviewers, maybe, to figure out how to refer to both of us. So we jumped on the opportunity to come up with a pseudonym. We finally landed on something that felt personal to us. LR represents um, Matt's middle name is Robert. My middle name is Lynn. And then Dorn is a kind of abbreviated anagram of Matt's last name, Dorf and my last name, Dunn. We kind of just put them together. But my background, film and television writer, before that I was involved in the media entertainment tech space. And with that, I'll pass it over to Matt to give a rundown on himself. Well, first I'd like to say regarding the pseudonym, it's also, you might notice that 
Suzanne is a woman, Matt is a man, and so LR is a gender neutral way of talking about us because you just have the initials. My backstory is I was born and raised in Los Angeles, kind of a showbiz family, um, loved movies, wanted to make them, decided that writing was the best path, and got into writing television movies back in the uh, era when they were a big deal on the networks. And so I wrote for CBS, NBC, ABC, and then the cable channels, USA, uh, Showtime, Lifetime. And then at a certain point, I felt I'd done that and I wanted to uh, look toward new horizons. And at that point, Suzanne was also kind of in the same boat. And so we decided to team up. And uh, that was about, gosh, seven years ago now. Sounds about right. So here we are now with our our second book coming out in just a few days. No matter how many times I hear that story, I love kind of the way that we brought things together. But in hearing you talk about that, Matt, it reminds me of a point of intersection. You mentioned Lifetime. And that is the time when uh, when Matt and I became involved in each other's lives. The very first screenplays that I read were Lifetime movies. And he very generously would hand over the script for me to take a look at it and it was really good but sometimes something would pop off the page and i would say we women don't say that <laughs> we don't talk like that we don't think like that that's not something we would do and i would give him a note and he would say your notes are brilliant how do you do that that's so great give me more give me more and it really was just inhabiting my skin and reading material he tried very hard to get inside you know a woman's point of view. I think that's one of the first things that we kind of sparked realizing that if we put the two of us together, there would be an opportunity to deepen and broaden the ability to define characters and to make them as realistic as possible. Literally starting out from the different, you know, gender POVs that we hold. And that was really fun doing that with you. Yeah, still is. That makes so much sense. And I also think it's very interesting that you both started out in the entertainment media industries and now have gone to pen and paper novels, but also are bringing in this newer form of media podcasting that is quite central to your book. And I want to get into that in just a minute, but just like any good author does is tease their audience. I know it's a mystery book. It's set at UC Santa Barbara. It has to do with podcasting and murder too, but can you give a brief summary to kind of reel in the indie listeners to the plot line? Absolutely. As a good mystery thriller um, will present itself, this starts out with a crime that's revealed fairly early on. A husband and wife are discovered brutally stabbed to death in their multi-million dollar estate home in Southern California. Uh, Prime suspects are the 22-year-old son of the man and woman that were murdered and his girlfriend. These are two college-age theater students who are now facing arrest and the likelihood of being indicted for the crime. And they've been out of the country in Mexico for a bit as things were heating up on them. They reach out before coming back to the country to Rihanna Raines, who's an investigative podcast journalist, and would like her to give them exclusive access to telling their side of the story before 
law enforcement and their attorneys effectively put gags on their ability to tell their story. Raina Reigns has never been in, an op, uh, in a position to embed herself with high profile uh, suspects. She decides to go for this with her podcast company. She's across the country in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So she kind of is a fish out of water as she comes to Southern California and as she puts herself in the middle of an unfolding investigation. And it is from there that she begins to learn about Jordan DiCarlo, the young man, and Victoria Byrne, the young woman, who at all glances don't really have a clear reason why they would turn to the crime of parricide, which is a particularly troubling crime. If you think about a child wanting to murder both of his parents, it's really hard to wrap one's head around that. And so that's where we kind of jump off into the beginning of the novel with our crime investigator picking the two young students up at the airport. And from there, the story begins to unspool. Yes. And beware, listeners, we will try to avoid all spoilers, but we will be, you know, kind of getting in the depth of this book. So as you were telling me about the the summary a little bit, I couldn't help but completely relate to that 1985 murder case of Derek and Nancy Haysom. This is a little bit of a parallel here, and this was a major inspiration for you. So can you talk more about this background? You know, we were casting a net for a crime, a true crime that we could fictionalize, that had a lot of interesting dynamics, psychological dynamics, emotional dynamics. A documentary was produced on it just, I think, within the last four or five years called Killing for Love. Then there was another, uh, there was a book that was written in the early 90s called Beyond Reason, and then several podcasts about this particular crime. So um, Small Town Big Crime is just one of them or, or the most recent of them. The thing that struck both Suzanne and I as we were reading and watching about this crime was that the two suspects, in this case, it was the daughter of the couple um, and her boyfriend. There was nothing about them that looked like a murderer, that looked like a, a, a brutally violent person who could do, do this to their parents. Um, they, were, they were college students, they were successful, they were you know, upper middle class, they had privilege, they were leaned into the art scene, and it was a brutal crime. I mean, we're talking you know, between the, the husband and wife, 100 stab wounds, slit throats, blood all over the house, really bad. And then you look at these two kids and you think, there's just no way. Like how, how could they have committed this crime? And so that was something that, that both Suzanne and I thought about. And when it came time, when we decided to create Ryan Arraines and her podcast, her uh, true crime podcast, we thought, wow, what a perfect match. The Hasem murders of 1985, fictionalize them, bring them into the present, move them across the country. And then um, we could explore the psychological dynamics between those two characters, uh, the suspects, and really like achieve a better understanding ourselves of what, what went wrong. I agree with you on that. Again, the crime of murdering both of one's parents doesn't 
pop into mind a lot of obvious reasons as to why, the how and the why. And for readers and listeners, because this is a book and an audio book, if you can't lean forward and begin to kind of speculate for yourself the, the why and the how of it, then you're held in that space of wondering what's a clue, what's important, what's going on here, the what, what, what. And Matt and I wanted to have plenty of space with this couple that we had fictionalized for the two of them to be very tightly united as one voice. They're madly in love with each other. They're hashtag Romeo and Juliet. They're golden couple of the theater department. And yet, as the net of the investigation tightens around them, they're going to crack and start to pull apart in their voice. And that's where the true participation of the reader and the listener gets to come into play. And because the crime itself doesn't give you a lot of clue as to why, how they would do this, we think it gives the reader listener a little extra time to kind of hang on the main characters, the main suspects, and really try to sleuth it out um, for themselves. And we love that kind of lean in, lean forward space in our storytelling. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we're such big fans of these multi-voiced, multi-narrated story structures that are heavy in dialogue as the format of this book and audiobook are. And it absolutely gives uh, the reader or the listener room to sort of make this reading experience interactive and, and exactly like you said, sleuth it out a little bit. Now, speaking of inspiration, the novel is set at UC Santa Barbara. And as a UCSB alumni, I just think this is so fascinating that the novel identifies so many places in Santa Barbara that I know um, as the main setting. So perhaps the central question around this is why UCSB and why Santa Barbara? On a really practical level, it's where we were living. <laughs> and so it was, would be relatively easy to, to drive up and do the research and look around and, and, and figure out what the settings were. So it just gave us a certain comfort and an ability to describe these places, you know, in a way that if you'd never been there before, it would, it would feel very, very vivid. We made the decision early on also to, to let them be theater students for, for a number of reasons. Um, and so as we were looking around in the various schools in California, we found that UC Santa Barbara is the only UC system school that gives a BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts, in acting. So it attracts young actors. They only take 12 to 15 students per year, um, and they develop into a very tight, what they call a cohort. So the more we uh, researched and, and, and investigated UCSB's theater and dance and BFA acting program, the more it just made sense that it would be a great setting. So we took our first trip up to do our research in April of 2021. At this point, we were just a couple of months away. Actually, Matt, just one month away from the launch of our yeah. debut novel, yeah. as he mentioned, The Anatomy of Desire. So we were in a little bit of a lull period. Knew if we didn't do it then, it would be probably 60, 90 days before we could get on the road again. Just a Quick side story that the middle of the campus is a very large is it magnolia tree. 
Yeah. Magnolia tree, the graduation lawn, the tree in the middle. And we were seated underneath that tree when our phones pinged and we received an incoming email that was the audiobook files for our first book. So we sat underneath that tree listening to the audiobook of our first outing before we were, I would say, 100% sure that the setting of Santa Barbara would be as fully developed as, as we developed it. But the moment that we sat down for coffee with the theater and dance academic advisor, Sean O'Shea, at Starbucks uh, in Isla Vista, we were thought maybe 30, 60, 90 minutes. We can talk quite a bit, 90 minutes. We were on a three-hour tour with him. The clicking and the meshing of information and the fit was just right there. He was such a generous contributor, talking about the resources that he could help us get access to, students that he could introduce us to, that we could become familiar with real students in order to have a stronger fictional backbone. He talked about the program, as Matt mentioned, the cohort system. He explained it to us very clearly, even though we had read about it online. And it just seemed that we had the biggest gift of an advisor who was in another lifetime. He probably should be in the producer or writer space. He was yeah. just so generous and so creative. So we left that three-hour meeting, proceeded to drive around, begin to do some location scouting. We always take our cameras, we're taking pictures, we're making notes, we're pinning things on maps so that when we go back to our home, we have the visuals, we have the first-hand experiences. But that wasn't our only trip. We were, just for, for example, so we had a scene that we were envisioning that would be a hike in, you know, in the mountains, in the foothills of Santa Barbara, change up the location from, you know, the city, the town, the campus, uh, and get out into the, uh, into nature. And so we found this Noyoki Falls Park place and drove up there. And um, because it was December, it, it had been raining. And so the, the falls were in full action we drove with the intention of we want to set a scene here, then walking along, taking pictures, walking up to the falls, seeing other people react to it. It just gave us the confidence and the visual to be able to portray that as it works in the book. The place that Jordan and Victoria go a lot when they need just to relax and and get away from you know all the stress of of their theater classes. And but it's Rihanna's first time, and she's the one describing it. We're putting it through the perspective of someone who's going up the uh, the trail and approaching the falls for the first time. Going back to the fact that there are the two of us and our lead characters, we have a, a young man and a young woman. I remember when we were coming back, when we stood at the falls, actually kind of holding hands, and as we were coming back, and it's a little bit muddy and slippery, kind of feeling the space that they would be in. And so there's an element sometimes of what we do as we put ourselves into settings and environments where we're actually inhabiting some of the characters themselves. That, for me, I know, helps since we're so dialogue heavy in what we do. I'll often end up with a bunch of thoughts, feelings, opinions, and beliefs, maybe about Victoria or Victoria and Jordan, that will end up getting recorded too. So that when it comes time to do the scene, I've actually been in the scene and I'm able to say what would the two of them do and how would they 
Uh, how would they feel? What would they say? What would they want to express? We have Ryan, uh, as a first timer to, to Santa Barbara, she has a few moments to herself and she goes downtown and, and looks around and says to herself, you know, I've got to bring my family back here. She's married with two kids because this is just so lovely. And then she stops at a cafe you know, that we named Cafe Bloomsday, um, which serves a certain kind of coffee. And then it turns out that that was a favorite spot of Victoria's. There's a room 1507-1507 in theater and dance complex that one of the students told us was haunted. <laughs> and it certainly was the, the classroom where Sean O'Shea teaches his stage combat class, which also came to figure largely in our story. The stage combat class was a great example too. Sean had the permission of students, but while he was teaching class, they often filmed themselves um, and he shared some of the video with us. So even when we were back home, having toured the room and uh, he let us hold some of the weapons, we had this all going on. On top of that, we get the added research gift of video. So I'll say some of these scenes in uh, Santa Barbara setting were just a delight to get to bring to life. They were almost brought to life for us. All we had to do was drop them into the story setting. And I won't say all we had to do because Matt would roll his eyes and say there was much more than that, Suzanne, that we did do. But in a way, it was the biggest gift. We also have parts of this set down in San Diego County, though, the detention center, uh, the home of the couple that's married. So we enjoyed equally spending time down there. But that was just us as writers kind of going through without a connection. So were it not for the university and the hospitality, um, the invitation to come on campus, I don't think we would have ended up with the setting being such a central character and as, as vivid as it as it came across in With a Kiss We Die. Yeah, you mentioned so many real places that you were able to inhabit yourself, which then translated into how you wrote these characters. And obviously, a lot of research goes into writing a novel and, of course, writing a fiction novel based on real stories or real areas or real organizations. And you've commented that you both spoke with academic advisor Sean O'Shea and Bachelor of Fine Arts acting graduate Sierra Hastings. And you study these people to help you base your story off of. And they actually ended up reading the first draft to give you comments. So can you tell me more about these real people who came to be pretty central to your writing process? Right away, Sean gave us a list of about six recent graduates from the BFA program, and they were all scattered out. And so we sent out emails to get them to talk. They they were really open and really helpful um, talking about their experiences um, and, and what it was like being on the inside of something that's so insular, right? Because you have this cohort of 15 young actors and you do everything together. And by the way, it's a prestigious program, but it's also a really tough program. They go to school during the day um, and then every night they're rehearsing. Um, and that includes the weekends. They were just very generous talking to us. And you know, one person like wrote out six pages of different places that she'd go and, you know, experiences that that she had. So that was really, really helpful and endeared us to the department and, and the students all the more. I remember the call that we did with Sierra. I have to give it to, uh, give credit to her confidence. When you're speaking to two authors who say that they have a film and television writing background 
and you're a beta reader and you're invited onto a phone call and you're asked to give feedback, I'm not sure at the uh, at the age of just over 21-ish, two-ish, that I could have opened up my mouth with the um, the grace and the confidence and the honesty and the kind of creative generosity that she did in walking us through parts and pages of the novel where she had ideas for improving the tonality of a character, the coloring of the setting, inserting personal details of student life, contrasting, since Victoria and Jordan were so in love with each other, they often didn't do what the cohort did. But as Sierra would illuminate for us what everyone else was doing, it gave us the tension point that helped us write what Victoria and Jordan would be doing. Yeah. And what I also think is very unique about the book is that one of the major components is that multi-voice audiobook that we've been mentioning. So can you talk more about this emergent style, why people are really loving these immersive audiobooks and why you chose to adapt this to your novel? Yes, we are passionate advocates and creators of this format of book. The reason we call it multi-voice performance is basically because the Audi Awards, which is the body that gives awards to excellence in, in audiobooks, one of the categories is best multi-voice performance. And we were a finalist in that category with our first book. So there are many reasons why it's such an immersive um, and, and immediate kind of writing style. And one of them is when you have different voices, you have an automatic differentiation between the characters, which is really important. The majority of audiobooks are read by a single narrator who's got to read the voices of all the characters. And many are extremely gifted at that and do a wonderful job. But there's something that brings you a person closer, a listener closer, when you've got two voices speaking to each other. Um, there's a certain counterpoint there. Well, I completely agree with all the benefits of hearing from so many voices in an audiobook. And I'm a total true crime junkie, as many are. And I'll never forget the first crime podcast that I listened to. It was in 2018. It was called Dirty John. Yes. And it was this case that took place a little bit south from where I'm at right now. It took place in Newport Beach. And that was my launching point into crime and specifically learning about crime on a podcast platform. And I, I really think that podcasting became this up and coming platform, not only for news and books, but also entertainment and that cross section right there that we like to call infotainment between news and entertainment, right? So it's situating itself now as this major media category, as we've discussed before. So what are your thoughts on the future of podcasting and the future of audiobooks with all of this in mind? Audiobooks, you know, if you if you look at the statistics, they have gained market share in double figures for the last decade. The interest in audiobooks, the adoption of audiobooks um, as a as a habit of consuming entertainment, it, it just keeps going up. People just get more and more interested in the audiobook experience. Obviously, podcasting also has become 
even though you know it, it, it ebbs and flows with the uh, economy, uh, it's still something that has become a major, major source of media entertainment, digital entertainment. It's not that old, right? I mean, it's you know ten years old. And if you go, if you're talking about true crime, you know, it really all begins with serial, um, the podcast serial, which was 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. So we're not even ten years beyond serial, which really set the format, created the audience, like people were listened to it and they were wanted more. Um, and then that spawned, you know, a whole tidal wave of true crime podcasts. There is a um, crime storytelling style that has been modified through the true crime podcast program that is really a new way of, of telling crime stories, has its own tropes, has its own format, has its own style, serialized, obviously, you know, multiple episodes, cliffhangers, but all done through the medium of audio. It occurred to us with listening to all these true crime podcasts that, well, what about making a true crime fictional podcast? What a great way to create a new sleuth, a new kind of detective whose job is to go and, and, and solve mysteries and get to the bottom of, of murders and crimes. Not only do you have true crime, but then you have this sort of hybrid that, that we're interested in creating, which is using the true crime style and format, but telling a fictional story. And we think that there's a big market for that, you know, that's, that's growing and, and give us a lot of opportunities to not just tell with a kiss we die, but future Ryan Arrain's podcast series. Alexandra, you mentioned the word infotainment and with our backgrounds intersecting as they have between Matt and I, we've considered that points of intersection quite often. The space in between film and television and print books, that storytelling space, we do see emerging as the audio book slash podcast colliding and merging space a bit. Great books have been read as audiobooks, and they are really entertaining to listen to. And podcasts in different categories, but as you've mentioned, and as Matt has said, in the true crime reporting category, has done a really great job of being both informative and entertaining. We think that there's opportunity in the space of listening as the platform or the medium to take storytelling and almost bring it back to life a little bit more than it has been. But we do think that the medium of listening to infotainment that then is, expands itself possibly to more just straight up platform specific storytelling for the audio audience. We think that that's a space that has some growth opportunity and we're very interested in being in that space. The business models are still to be decided. Who will be the owners of these entities? Who will acquire? Who will survive? Who will not survive? When we see all of that stuff, it comes and it goes and we're in a very disrupted creative space these days but it doesn't cause us to shy away from wanting to leave some of our DNA 
kind of fingerprints in this space and helping to illuminate or illustrate what the potential of this could be. And I think there are other audiobooks out there, but if you listen to With a Kiss We Die, if you listen to The Anatomy of Desire, you're going to have an experience that'll probably make you say, really robust story. I wonder if it could be, I wonder when I'm going to see it as a streamer. Mm -hmm. And we don't mind it going back from the audio side into the visual More video medium don't side. Don't mind. More than don't mind. But that's what we're, you know, we have eyes that can read print, eyes that take in uh, video visual medium. We have ears that can listen. You know, they're kind of stuck in that middle space. And we find it really interesting. Let the listening ear be really, really satisfied with the story and let the creative mind fill in the details. It's what reading eyes do when you read a good book, you fill in the details. We love playing in this space. Well, you both bring up so many good points about true crime, podcasting, and of course, your novel with the kiss we die. And I know that on July 15th, there is a very special event where you can hear more from the authors about these topics. So will you tell the India listeners about what is happening on July 15th in Santa Barbara? We have decided to do our book and audiobook official launch at UC Santa Barbara on Saturday, July 15th, one o'clock at the Studio Theater. It'll be a two-hour program. It's a traditional author Q&A book signing event but with a whole lot more added into the programming package, starting with David Starkey of the Santa Barbara Independent, who will be moderating us on a very active Q&A on stage. The stuff that we will be talking about is not what we've covered in this podcast. The event is free. We are asking for people to RSVP through Eventbrite. We're going to do an author Q&A, and then all of the students who were cast to read parts, seven of the 16 voice narrators or students, one recent grad, they'll be performing sides or pieces of their performances live, or in a couple of cases, because the students are on summer program and actually at a festival outside of the U.S., they'll be recorded and coming in by Zoom to answer questions. We also have been fortunate enough to have the director of the audiobook join us on Zoom to answer questions and talk about what it was like pulling together the making of an audiobook using professionals and student narrators in a multicast format. So there's not many insider events that cover audiobook making. There's not many places online that you can get behind the scenes kind of information about what it's like to make an audiobook. We wanted to fill the hole with this event and make sure that we covered not only what you would traditionally do in an author book launch and audio launch event, but also bring in some new, new and fresh programming. Wonderful and so exciting. Matt and Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me on the Indie Pod. It was an absolute pleasure. And listeners, look out for the release of With a Kiss We Die on July 11th. And then again, that event on July 15th. 
that the Santa Barbara Independent is moderating, and that should be a good time in the Santa Barbara community. Alexandra, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Alexandra. Again, if you like this episode and you want to hear more about the novel and creative process from Matt and Suzanne, be sure to RSVP to the event taking place at UCSB on Saturday, July 15th. That link is in the show notes. That's all for this week, and thank you so much for tuning in to The Indie. To stay up to date with the team, be sure to follow us at The Indie Pod on Instagram. From the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent, I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg. And as always, we'll see you next week, Santa Barbara.